Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Hope you enjoyed your Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. On our show this week, in segment three, we're going to look back on an interview from February of 2007, one of my favorite interviews in the last six years of hosting this show. What an inspirational gentleman, Dick Hoyt. It's become a tradition to play this interview on Thanksgiving every year. Uh, Dick Hoyt and his son Rick have competed in countless Ironman events, triathlons, marathons, and Rick is not able to move. He's wheelchair-bound, and his father pulls him on rafts, pushes him in wheelchairs. It is an amazing story of persistence and courage, and it's athleticism like you've never heard before. That's coming up in Segment 3, my conversation from February of 2007 with Dick Hoyt. In Segment 4, we're going to look back on our conversation with Bill Polian, the president of the Indianapolis Colts. That was from January of 2008. The Colts have it rolling. As of this moment, they are undefeated. And they look to be Super Bowl bound. We will see. But they certainly, along with the New Orleans Saints, are the cream of the crop in the NFL. Bill Polian, who helped build the Buffalo Bills into Super Bowl contenders that were dominant in the 90s, has done the same with the Colts. And you'll hear my conversation with Bill Polian. We'll look back on that conversation from January of 2008. That's coming up in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Become my Facebook friend. Follow us via Twitter. Just visit my blog at sportsbusinessradio.com and link to the Sports Business Radio Facebook and Twitter pages. My Twitter handle, at SB Radio. I'm joined in studio by my producer, Bobby Corser. Bobby, tough week this week. Uh, Abe Poland, the longtime owner of the Washington Wizards. They used to be the Washington Bullets. Passed away at age 85, longest tenured owner in the NBA. Uh, big loss. This is a guy remembered as much for standing up to Michael Jordan and firing Michael Jordan as an executive as he was for bringing basketball championship and hockey to the D.C. area. Yeah, one of the most classiest guys in sports, and uh, I know the D.C. area and most of the U.S. will miss this gentleman. So we'll talk more about the passing of Abe Poland who the Wizards will become the property of next. That's coming up in headlines. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Happy Thanksgiving. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. 
But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, Washington Wizards owner Abe Poland passed away earlier this week at age 85. Poland is known for bringing basketball to the D.C. area. He brought the then Baltimore Bullets in 1964, moved them to D.C., and uh, he owned Washington Sports and Entertainment. He was the longest tenured owner in the NBA. Bobby, it looks like now that Abe Poland has passed away, Ted Leonsis, who's been a guest on this show, is going to have first dibs at buying controlling interest of Washington Sports and Entertainment. So that was a deal that was made a few years ago, and basically the agreement was that if Abe Poland died or retired and wanted to sell all of his shares, that Ted Leonsis would have first rights on that. So we will see if Leonsis exercises those rights. But Abe Poland, what a history that he had in the D.C. area. I mean, he took uh, the Wizards into an area of downtown Washington, D.C. that no one wanted to go to. He basically privately financed the arena in downtown D.C. has really revitalized the area where the Wizards arena is. And, uh, you know, he was just such an icon on the Washington sports scene. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the fact that he used his own money to fund, you know, the construction project for the now, the now Verizon Center and actually revitalize. A lot of people in sports try and do that. But, you know, what? this is one of those success stories. And not only was he a good guy on the court and around the sports scene, but he was married to his wife for like 65 years. And, you know, stuff like that just doesn't happen anymore. So, you know, like we said earlier, he will be missed. He also owned the NHL's Capitals from 1974 to 1999. So we will watch this story, uh, see if the Wizards do wind up in the hands of Ted Leonsis. And, uh, again, our condolences to a Poland's family and to the Washington Wizards and to the NBA. Our next headline, Jimmy Johnson. Wow. I mean, Bobby, do we mention him now in the same breath as Tiger Woods and Roger Federer and the most dominant athletes of this era after he makes it four in a row uh, winning the chase? And the thing that's interesting is if Jimmy Johnson walks down the street in most American cities, I don't know if people recognize who he is without his Lowe's uh, outfit on. No, you know, what? we mentioned him in the same breath as those guys, but you're right. We'll mention him, but nobody knows who he is unless you follow NASCAR. I mean, listen, it's great exposure for Lowe's and great exposure for his other sponsors and his team. But he's one of those guys that's so far under the radar in terms of marketing and deals with NASCAR. Listen, Jeff Gordon has won the chase and the NASCAR title four times. Not in a row, but people know who he is because of how they've marketed him. You see him walking down the street, people know who he is. Jimmy Johnson, not one of those guys. So he needs a better publicist. He needs more marketing behind him. I mean, here's a guy who uh, signed with Lowe's back in 2001, and they were kind of taking a chance on him. I mean, Jimmy Johnson was not a household name. He didn't have much of a track record. And now look at what he's done. And there were some you know, media opportunities this week with Jimmy Johnson. He did some interviews and People ran some ads. Lowe's ran some ads. But I just wonder, you know, after this fourth consecutive win, 
is he going to elevate himself into the household name that Tiger Woods and Roger Federer are? He's going to have to outside of the NASCAR fans. Listen, you know, there's a Lowe's that I shop at, and you'd think that they'd have his picture plastered all over the place. You can't find it for maybe a small thing like near a checkout stand. It's really funny. And I, I wonder if it's just the marketing dollars that they have or don't have. Well, it'll be interesting to see, you know, again after this fourth win, if things are different and he starts moving into the household name area of conscious with the American public. Our next headline, the NFL announced this week that NBC used its flex scheduling option to move Sunday's Vikings-Cardinals game to the 8.20 p.m. Eastern time slot, bumping. Patriots-Dolphins to 1 o'clock on CBS. NBC did not make any changes the first two weeks of flex scheduling, and a source indicated that CBS had placed the Titans-Colts on the off-limits list and that Fox had protected the Cowboys-Giants. I mean, Bobby, what this shows is that Brett Favre is still as popular as any player in the NFL. He drives big TV ratings. And if you put him in prime time, you usually get big numbers. Yeah, exactly. And you know, as much as it hates, I hate to say this, Brett might be the best you know choice for MVP so far because the guy has played absolutely lights out. And as much as I hate to say it as a Lions fan, the guy looks awful good in Minnesota. Well, I mean, what was he, 22 of 25 last week with four touchdowns and no interceptions? The biggest difference in Brett Favre this year is he's not throwing all those interceptions. I mean, he used to be a gunslinger. In years past, and he would take risks. He really doesn't have to take as many risks now because he's got two dynamic players on the same side of the ball with him. One, Adrian Peterson, and two, Percy Harvin is fantastic and really has found a nice home in Minnesota with Brett Favre. Absolutely, and you know what? The other guys that are benefiting besides Percy Harvin and Adrian Peterson are the other guys that are playing offense with him because you have all these no-name guys that all of a sudden are being thrust into the spotlight because of the quarterback. Because, listen, they're making good catches on his incredible throws. So, I mean, it's a win-win situation. My question for you, you think the Jets regret letting him go last year? You know, I don't know. I think he had kind of run his course, and I don't think he'd be doing what he's doing in Minnesota in New York because he has a much better supporting cast with the Vikings than he did with the Jets. All right, our last headline quickly. The New York State Court of Appeals this week ruled in favor of four city Ratner's Atlantic Yards development. Basically, what this means is the New Jersey Nets, who have tried to move to Brooklyn, this is a good news for them. This means the development can continue. They have a number of different hurdles they have to cross before the December 31st deadline on a number of these different things. But this is a very big boost to this project. And Bruce Ratner is a real estate guy first, so this is very important to him and will keep you posted on this progress. In our next segment... We're going to look back on my conversation with Dick Hoyt, an unbelievably inspirational story that you're going to want to stay tuned for on this Thanksgiving weekend. Thanks for listening to Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. <laughs> <laughs> 
Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday <laughs> or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. You know, many times we erroneously put our athletes on pedestals, and they really have no business being there. I'm about to introduce you to a man who has teamed with his disabled son, Rick, to teach us all about what a real hero is. 66-year-old Dick Hoyt and his 45-year-old son, Rick, have competed in countless marathons and triathlons. Dick pushes his 110-pound son, Rick, when they're running. He pedals him when they're biking, and he tows him on a raft when they are swimming. Honestly, I don't think I've ever heard of a more incredible feat than the feats Dick Hoyt and his son, Rick, perform regularly in over 200 triathlons, five Ironmans. They've competed in 25 Boston marathons together. He's even hauled his son, Rick, across the U.S. on a bike. It is my extreme pleasure to be joined today by Dick Hoyt. Dick, thanks for joining me. Well, thanks for having me. Dick, let's start at the beginning of your incredible story for those who may not be familiar with it. Your son, Rick, was born with cerebral palsy. He was unable to control his limbs after complications during birth. Doctors told you and your wife, Judy, soon after he was born that you should probably institutionalize him. You didn't listen to those doctors. What gave you the strength, you and your wife, to be there for Rick and and give him the care he needed? Well, you know, the doctors really couldn't tell us very much about how Rick was going to progress or, or anything. And so what we decided is that we just bring Rick home and bring him up like any other child. And, and this is what we have done. Rick has been mainstreamed and included all of his life. You know, today Rick, Rick is 45 years old, and he's uh, graduated from public high school. He graduated from Boston University. He lives all by himself in his own apartment. And Rick and I have competed in over 948 athletic events in the past 26 years. And and we just knew that Rick was smart. We could tell when we were talking to Rick that he'd look right into our eyes. So we knew he understood, you know, everything we were saying. And we tried to get him into public school, and they, they turned us down. They said, no, he doesn't understand. He won't be able to learn. So we met some engineers from uh, Tufts University. And... uh, we, we told them, and we only talked to them a little bit, and they said the same thing. The school department said that he wouldn't be able to learn. So we, we told the uh, engineers to tell Rick a joke. So they told Rick a joke, and Rick cracked up laughing, and he said, wow, maybe there is something there. So they said, if you can uh, get us $5,000, we'll build a communicating device for Rick. And that was 32 years ago now, and uh, $5,000 was a lot of money. Right, a lot of money. Did, a lot of money, yeah. But the Hoyt family raised the uh, $5,000. We gave it to the engineers from Tufts, and they built what was called the TIC, the Tufts Tufts Interactive Communicator. And the the engineers were coming to our house, and everybody was betting what are the first words Rick is ever going to (laughs) say. Well, his his mom saying it's going to be, hi, Mom, and me to Dad. No, it's going to be, hi, Dad. Well, the Boston Bruins were going for the Stanley Cup, and the very first words he ever said was, go Bruins. So we knew right then and there that he knew everything that was going on, and he loved sports. So we took Rick with his tick to the school department, and the principal of the school 
took him in a room with some school teachers. See, before they were saying his mother and father were answering for him. So they asked him some questions, and he answered them correctly, so they'd accept him in a public school. And then when Rick was 11, uh, you know, I guess he came to you. Tell me the story of how he came to you, and he said, Dad, I want to race in a five-mile race with you. Yeah. Rick was attending a, a South Middle School out in Westfield, Massachusetts, and his gym teacher really got involved with Rick with all the different gym activities with all the other kids. And he was also the basketball coach at Westfield State College, and he used to take Rick to the basketball games. Well, at one of the basketball games, they made an announcement that one of the cross players from the college was in an automobile accident. He was paralyzed from the waist down. So they're going to have this charity road race to try to help him raise some money so he could pay his medical bills. And when Rick came home from that basketball game, he told me all about it. And he said, Dad, I have to do something for him. I want to let him know that life goes on even though he's paralyzed. I want to run in the race. Well, at the time, I was 40 years old. I was not a runner. I used to run maybe three times a week a mile each time just to try to keep my weight down. But uh, And that's all we had was a, a prescription form-fitted form wheelchair for Rick. And we had a hard time pushing him in it, never mind running in it. But we went down. It was a five-mile race, and we gave Rick and I the number double zero, and the gun went off. And we took off with all the other runners, and everybody thought that Rick and I would just go to the corner and turn around and come back. Well, we didn't. We finished the whole five miles coming in next to last, but not last. That's one thing. We've never been last in any of the events that we've been in. And then when we got home from that race that night, Rick wrote on his computer, Dad, when I'm running, feels like my disability disappears, which was a very powerful message to me if you think about it. Somebody who can't talk, use their arms and their legs, and now the disability seems to disappear when they're out there running. He just called himself Freebird. All of a sudden, he was free. But, you know, there's only one problem after that race. I was disabled. I didn't know you had so many muscles in your body. <laughs> yeah, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't walk for about two weeks. Well, I've read like, the story. I mean, all these races that you've competed in, this is superhuman stuff, Dick. This is not – I couldn't do this by myself. What you're doing with your son is literally superhuman. Where do you, where do you get the, the energy to do this? Is there well, some, it's just amazing guess, to me. Yeah, it's, I just draw all the energy from Rick. Rick and I have a very special bond together. He, he inspires me and he motivates me. Cause to me, he's the competitor. And I'm out there just loaning my arms and my legs so that he can compete. You know, he, he's a fighter, and he's, he's never going to give up. And, and it, it, it just, it's just unbelievable what we've been able to do and even the times that we've been able to run. I mean, we never expected to be running a, a marathon. And a triathlon, you crazy, running a bike across the United States? My other two sons say, you, you two guys are nuts. You're crazy. <laughs> you know, but we really, you know, we... We really enjoy it, and uh, we're helping out so many people. And, you know, now we're helping people all over the world, and it's, it's unbelievable. And, uh, you know, every time we go to a race or something, people come up to us and they say, hey, you guys, we want to thank you because we saw you guys out there doing it. And they said, wow, if they can do it, we can do it, and now we're in the best shapes of our lives thanks to you. You know, and now people are out running marathons and doing triathlons. Dick, when you started... Who, who are your biggest detractors? I mean, people must have looked at you when you said, like you just said a moment ago, hey, we're going to do marathons, then we're going to graduate to triathlons. People must have looked at you like you were nuts. Well, they really did, yes. Um, well, actually, when I first, the first race I ever pushed Rick in, uh, I got some telephone calls and uh, letters from people that had, you know, 
families that had disabled children with them, and they said, what are you doing dragging your disabled son uh, through all of these races? What, are you just looking for glory? And see what they didn't realize? It was my son dragging me through all these races. Huh. And, uh, that, you know, it's been 30 years, 35 years since you started, and you know, take us back to that time and then to today. Disabled athletes, I hope, are being treated better, and I think you've probably had a large part in the treatment of disabled athletes in the last 30, 35 years. Well, I hope so, because, you know, when Rick and I first started, we went over to do our first race, and they didn't, nobody wanted us in the race. Nobody come near us. Nobody talked to us, you know. But finally, the overall race director said that we could run, and we ran. And, you know, there was 300 runners in this race. It was a 10K race, and Rick and I finished 150th out of that. And then after that, Rick and I would go to a different town in a different city and run. And finally, people started coming up to us and talking to us, and they could see that Rick had a personality, a sense of humor, and he loved to be in the middle of running with everybody else. And then we tried to get into the Boston Marathon, and they turned us down too. They said, no, you can't run because you're different than anybody else. So we applied, you know, through the wheelchair division that runs in the Boston Marathon, and they also turned us down. They said, no, you can't run because you're different than anybody else. But what they did say is if you want, you can line up behind us and run, and that's what we did in 1981. We ran up, we lined up behind the regular wheelchair athletes, and we ran our very first Boston Marathon, and we ran it in three hours and 18 minutes, which beat 85% of all the other runners. That's incredible. My, My guest is Dick Hoyt, part of Team Hoyt. You can learn more about Dick and his incredible story with the son, Rick, at TeamHoyt.com. You know, you were just, I didn't mean to cut you off there, uh, Dick, but I read a quote from you last year. You know, you said first they wouldn't even let us race in the Boston Marathon, and, and now we have a seat at the head table. That's got to be an incredible feeling. It really is, yes. You know, we ran again two more years unofficially. We ran in 1982 and 83. We ran under three hours at 258 and at 259. And still they wouldn't let us be official entrants. So in 1983, I talked to Will Clooney, who was the executive director of the BAA, and asked him why we couldn't be official entrants. And he said it was because we didn't have any qualifying criteria. And what he meant by that is Boston is the only marathon in the world where you have to run another marathon a certain time depending on your age. Well, at the time, Rick was in his 20s. I was in my 40s. So they were using Rick's age for us to qualify. And that meant we had to run under two hours and 50 minutes. So that fall, we went down to Washington, D.C., to the Marine Marathon, which is called the People's Marathon. And anybody can run in this marathon, and they always get over 13,000 runners. But they don't get the elite athletes because there's no cash awards. It's just regular trophies and plaques. And Rick and I went down there, and we ran a 245-23, which qualified both Rick and I for the Boston Marathon. We submitted uh, official certificates, and we've been official entrants ever since. As a matter of fact, 1996, the 100th running of the Boston Marathon, Rick and I were honored as centennial heroes by the BAA and their sponsor, John Hancock. So we have come a long way, and we've been able to break down a lot of barriers along the way. Dick, you and your son, Rick, have competed all over the world. What's your favorite all-time experience uh, racing together? There's so many of it. It's unbelievable. You know, I'd have to say, you know, that, that very first race that I was able to push my son in. And, and what has happened from then is just unbelievable. If you ask Rick that question, he'd tell you it would be the Boston Marathon. And if it comes down to one race a year, he'd like it to be the Boston Marathon. But I think my favorite one really was uh, the 1989 uh, Ironman Triathlon out in Kona, Hawaii, because uh, President uh, 
Ronald Reagan yeah. was in Boston, and uh, he was watching the Iron Man, and he says he usually doesn't watch the whole thing, but him and Nancy watched the whole thing because they wanted to see if we were able to finish it. And he called me up, and he says, if you're ever in California, give me a call. I'd like you know, to meet you guys, and if I'm in Boston, I'll call you, and, uh, and we'll get together. And so Rick and I were out in California, and we went to his office and, and met him, and it was really quite an experience. What a thrill. We've only got a few minutes left. Unfortunately, you're traveling the country now. You're giving motivational speeches. Listen, anything you're talking about, I'm listening to. Tell me about that and uh, what you're doing these days besides racing. Well, we, we are doing a lot of speaking engagements now. As a matter of fact, I'm averaging about uh, anywhere from 12 to 15 uh, speaking engagements a month. And we're actually, we're traveling all over. I'm out here in California right now, and I was in uh, Tucson a couple weeks ago in Phoenix, and, and I was down in Atlanta, and I was in Orlando, and it just keeps going on and on. But it's a lot of traveling. It's a lot of flying, and it's not fun flying anymore. But, you know, it's so important to get out there and try to motivate and inspire these big companies that hire us to, to, to get their salesmen to motivate them to spy. And when we get through doing our presentation, people look at us and say, wow, we thought we had problems. We don't have any problems at all. So, again, you're the eternal optimist. You're someone who's definitely turned lemons into lemonade. Uh, what's your advice, anyone out there who may be depressed or just uh, down about the hand they've been dealt in life? Well, our message is yes, you can. There isn't anything that you can't do. There's no such word as can't in the Hoyt vocabulary. And you just got to go out there and do the very best you can and never give up and never stop. And, and that's, that's how we live our life. We, we just live it to the fullest, and we just don't take no for an answer. Dick, you epitomize the human spirit. You know, I think you're what we all strive to be, you and your son, Rick. You're an inspiration to me and anyone who's heard this story. And, you know, I really wish you the best of luck. I'm pulling for both of you, and uh, thanks for making time for us this week. Well, thank you very much. I really enjoy talking to you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Bill Polian. He's the president of the NFL's Indianapolis Colts. He's a five-time winner of the league's Executive of the Year Award. Bill, I know you're very busy this week. Thanks for making some time to join us. Glad to do it. 
you know, you look at your football resume, and uh, it's just incredible. You built a Buffalo Bills team that appeared in four straight Super Bowls. You helped guide the Carolina Panthers to the NFC Championship in only the team's second year of existence. And now you've built a Colts team that has won 12 or more games every year since 2003. By the way, that's an NFL record. You added a Super Bowl victory to your resume when the Colts beat the Chicago Bears in last year's Super Bowl. How sweet was it to finally climb to the top of the mountain after being so close previously? Well, it, obviously it's always very nice to win, and um, it's, um, it's great to uh, have the ultimate experience. I joked with the commissioner when I got on the, on the podium for the victory presentation that, um, you know, I didn't know what to do up there because I'd been <laughs> in the other locker room so long. Oh, uh, gosh. But... Uh, uh, yeah, I felt best for all of the people here in this organization who, you know, had not had a lot of success over time, and 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 we we we've come in and had really pretty quick success. Um, we were thirteen and three our second year here, and then and then failed to make it to the big game for for a period of time. So I really felt good for them that it, that that they finally got the opportunity. To, to feel like it, what it was like to get there. I'd been there before. <laughs> you know, the thing that's most impressive about your organization to me is that everyone seems to be on the same page from the top to the bottom, football operations and business operations. As the person who oversees the entire Colts organization, share with us, if you would, maybe your two to three main philosophies for success, because you've obviously had success wherever you've been. Well, I think the first thing you have to recognize is what it takes to win is simple, but it isn't easy. Um, it, it's it's very difficult to stay the course and to do the things that it takes to win on a on a regular basis um, when you when you don't succeed on a continual basis. And by that, I mean winning the Super Bowl on a continual basis, because um, in our culture. Uh, in the National Football League culture these days, um, if you're the Super Bowl loser, you might as well be three and thirteen. There's there's no differentiation in the public mind and in the media mind uh, b- between the loser of the Super Bowl and the worst team in the league. Uh, I've often said that, uh, for example, when the St. Louis Cardinals were swept by the Boston Red Sox in Boston's miracle season uh, a couple of years ago. Um, the, the Cardinals were not considered, uh, you know, a, a, a pitiable loser. Right. Uh, whereas the the loser of the Super Bowl almost always is. So um, you got to stay the course, and you and you got to recognize that perseverance is is perhaps the most important thing you can have in this business. And then ultimately, you have to recognize that it's the the product on the field that. That's what drives everything, and that what you have to do as an organization is do everything you can to support that and to make sure that that the people who have to do the playing have every opportunity to win. It's important that we make a profit. It's important that we maximize our opportunities to uh, 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 generate revenue because that's what ultimately puts the product on the field. But we also have to recognize that uh, winning and losing is, is really what drives the train. Well, and you've got to have a little bit of luck, right? I mean, Peyton Manning has stayed healthy, uh, you know, a kick here and there, and, and things could be different. So doesn't luck play a little bit of a part? It most certainly does. Um, I, I would be the last one to tell you that uh, that, that, that it does not. Uh, Ranch Rickey, who I think is the maybe the greatest sports executive of all time, 
said that the luck is the residue of design. It's a great and saying. I think there's a in large measure, measure that's true, but uh, you you got to have some luck too along the way. Uh, for example, this year the Patriots did something that no one ever thought could be done again, which is to go undefeated during the regular season, and and part of that the reason they did that is because they had their good players healthy for the vast majority of the time. Uh, and and that's purely a function of luck. If you if you're you can have the greatest team in the NFL, and if they're not out there on the field and they're not healthy, uh, you're, you're not a very good team. So um, it, it luck plays a plays a role in it, no question. My guest is Bill Polian. He's the president of the NFL's Indianapolis Colts. Bill, let's talk about the playoffs for a moment. Uh, last year, the Colts were a three seed in the AFC. You went all the way and you won the Super Bowl. This year, you're a two seed, but because the Patriots have had this undefeated season, I almost get the sense, even though you're the uh, defending Super Bowl champs, you guys are kind of flying under the radar. Is that kind of a good thing? Maybe low expectations? Well, I don't know about expectations, but we like being under the radar. Uh, the, the fact that uh, we're, we're not a uh, uh, under the microscope every single day is a good thing from our perspective. And, uh, and we're very happy to be uh, a below-the-radar team and let our let our play and do the speaking for us. Well, and any team that has Peyton Manning on it, I'm definitely not betting against that team. You know, you joined the Colts organization in 1998. One of your first moves was to draft Peyton Manning with the number one pick. Since then, Peyton's really become the face of the NFL. He's one of the league's most marketable players. What is it about Peyton Manning that sets him apart from everyone else, both on and off the field? Well, I, I can't speak for the marketing sides of it other than to say that his non-football personality, meaning when he's not preparing for or playing a game, is is not unlike what you see on some of the commercials. Mm-hmm. That, that sort of um, uh, funny uh, kind of offbeat sense of humor comes through, and that's the way he is when he's not in a game preparation mode. Um, what sets him apart on the field is that I've never seen a player in my career uh, who prepares as hard and as diligently and as consistently as Peyton Manning. He watches more tape than most coaches. Um, he's, he's got notebooks full of material on every player he's played against. His, his preparation is absolutely meticulous. Uh, he leaves no stone unturned. He'll do anything that it takes to win, and he does it uh, 11 months a year. Uh, we have to really work hard to slow him down in the off season because uh, uh, you want him to get away from football some, and you want to certainly rest his arm. And 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 he's back here uh, on April 1st and, and raring to go, just like as though it was October 1st. So uh, his work ethic and his preparation is unparalleled. I've got to ask you this question because I've always wanted to ask it. I remember back in 1998 there was the debate between Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf, and now we look back and it's almost laughable that there was even a debate. Obviously, you made the right decision, but in your heart of hearts, was there ever even a little bit of a thought as to maybe taking Ryan Leaf over Peyton Manning? Well, we had to do our due diligence. We weren't going to accept the fact that uh, conventional wisdom said that uh, Ryan Leaf was the better player. Um, when we began the process, I think there was a split camp even among our scouts. As we got to the end, it was pretty obvious that Peyton was going to be the better choice for any number of reasons, not 
the least of which was his work ethic and the fact that he'd been in school for four years and was really prepared to come in and take over the job of being a quarterback in the National Football League, albeit the fact that he was we knew he was going to struggle as a rookie. Everyone does. But, um, you know, I think he was far more prepared than Ryan at that point in time. And uh, the conventional wisdom, of course, was just the opposite. But what shocked me as we went through the process and speaks to why the process is so important is that, the conventional wisdom was so often wrong. Uh, all you heard was that Ryan Leaf had a much stronger arm than Peyton Manning. When you actually measured them, that was not the case at all. In fact, it was the reverse. Peyton's arm was stronger. Uh, you heard that uh, Ryan was the better athlete. Um, that wasn't true. They were at least equal, and there were some people who would make the argument that Peyton was better uh, in terms of uh, uh, being a, a, quote, product of the system. Uh, I don't know what that meant. Uh, right. He didn't play in our system in college. Right. And and the system at Tennessee hasn't been as efficient since he left. So exactly. I, I don't I don't know what that meant. And finally, the fact that he he was not going to be any better uh, at at twenty eight or twenty nine than he was at twenty one. Well, at twenty eight, he set a record for touchdown passes thrown in the NFL. So it, it proves once again that. You need to do your homework. You need to turn over every rock. You need to apply the appropriate standards and metrics and, and judge people based on objective standards and, and not pay any attention to the conventional wisdom. Just a few minutes left. Uh, the Colts are going to begin play at Lucas Oil Stadium starting this fall. I read where the stadium cost is estimated at $675 million. Looks like you're going to seat about 63000 for football. It can be refigured uh, to 70000 for things like the NCAA Final Four. Talk to me a little bit about this new stadium. Uh, the renderings I see, it looks like it's a fantastic facility. Well, it is going to be a great facility. It's, uh, it's uh, very modern, retractable roof. Um, but yet, uh, like Conseco Fieldhouse, which is our um, wonderful basketball arena here in Indianapolis, it's uh, in some ways retro, too. has a retro look and feel to it, uh, which is, uh, speaks to uh, nostalgia and speaks to the uh, golden age of sports and sort of speaks to what the Midwest is about. And, uh, and so it will fit perfectly in the, in the footprint of downtown. And uh, it'll be a, an exciting time for us to move into that building. Um, from a business standpoint, it's going to provide us with uh, 7,000 more seats than we have now, quite a few more club seats than we presently have. So it'll make us a little more competitive. Right now, we're the um, lowest capacity in the league by far, by about 8,000 seats. So that's going to help us to some degree in terms of competitiveness because. As you know, uh, cash is king in the free agency right. market, and if you can generate more cash from your stadium, well, you remain more competitive. Um, and uh, most importantly, it's going to be a great addition for Indianapolis. Um, it frees up the uh, area right now that is occupied by the RCA Dome to become convention center space, and that's going to help us add conventions that we lost in the past because our space was too limited to accommodate them. And believe it or not, we are a very um, uh, frequent and good convention uh, uh, site. People like to come here. And uh, so we needed the convention space. Secondly, 
It's allowed us, because of uh, our proximity to the NCAA offices, which are about uh, 20 blocks from where I sit right now, um, to work a deal with them whereby we will have a major NCAA event uh, in the building, whether it be women's Final Four, men's Final Four, uh, uh, regional finals, uh, NCAA convention, things of that nature, uh, every year for, uh, through, 19, uh, through 2035, excuse me, so um, it will be an important site, uh, and particularly for the men's Final Four. And there are lots of people in the basketball community who, uh, who have said the Final Four to be in Indianapolis every year. Well, that's not feasible, but this building allows us to host it on a regular basis uh, going forward, and we're going to do that, and, and that's, that's a real positive. Uh, it's also capable of hosting national political conventions and events of that type. Uh, we've been in a running for some of those in the past and haven't had a building big enough and modern enough to handle it. So I think that's something that's uh, on the horizon. So in the end, it turns out to be a win-win both for the Colts and for the city and, and a boon to the economy of the city. And, uh, but, of course, from our perspective, uh, we're looking forward to moving into it next year. Bill, last question. Uh, you've had an incredible career thus far. What are you most proud of? Gosh, I, I'm not one on you know who's big on on, on retrospectives. Um, uh, I guess I'll do that whenever I retire, which sure. isn't going to be anytime soon. Uh, but I guess the, con- the consistent winning over time, probably. If you ask me to pick one thing, our teams have have been competitive uh, and and consistent winners over time. And, and I think the quality of, of the people, uh, which doesn't speak to me, it speaks to their quality, but the quality of people we've had, you know, the, the Bruce Smiths, the, the Thurman Thomases, the Jim Kellys, the Marv Levy's, the Tony Dungy's, the Peyton Manning's, the Marvin Harrison's, uh, you know, they're, they're all great people as well as Hall of Fame players. So, um, uh, you know, you can't help but, but feel good about that, and I, I feel that's not my doing. I'm just very blessed to have been associated with people like that. I will um, have spent the bulk of my career, um, however much longer it goes, with uh, with two Hall of Fame coaches, Marv Levy and Tony Dungy. You don't get any luckier than that. Now that's tremendous, Bill. That's all the time we have. Guests appearing during our Sports Sense segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses, Morton's the Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Morton's nearest, you go online to mortons.com. Bill, again, I've wanted to have you on the show for a long time. I'm a big admirer of yours, and I wish you the best of luck in the NFL playoffs this year. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure being with you. You take care. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every championship team has one thing in common, good coaching. And I want to be your coach, your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, We'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, we'll help you practice your new skills and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, 
Visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Well, interesting week for me last week. I went with my friend and client, Brian Grant, former NBA star, out to New York. And when I'm not hosting the show, I'm a publicist. And I sat with Brian Grant and Michael J. Fox. They did an interview with David Aldridge of NBA TV and TNT. And they talked about their fight against Parkinson's. Uh, Really inspirational. And uh, incredible event that the Michael J. Fox Foundation put on in New York at the Waldorf Astoria. I had the honor of sitting at the same table as Brian, but also John McEnroe and his wife, Patty Smythe, lead, former lead singer of Scandal. Uh, director Martin Scorsese and his wife, Helen. Dennis Leary was there. Uh, boy, Julianne Moore was there. Actor Ryan Reynolds. It was a who's who. They raised $4 million for Parkinson's research. And, uh, Bobby, I'll tell you what, you know, New York, you know, here we are in little Podunk, Portland. You go to New York, there's a lot of money there. And, you know, it's just amazing what Michael J. Fox has done to put a face on this fight against Parkinson's. And, you know, I'm proud of Brian Grant now for joining that fight and raising the profile of Parkinson's awareness. You know, it's it's a great cause, and my jaw hit the floor when you started running down the list of the people that you not only talked to, but who you were sitting at your table. And I was just like, man, look at Burger over here, just you know, rubbing elbows with the wealthy. I'm the a nobody, and and you know, hey, that's not true. I walked down the red carpet, and uh, you know, that was interesting. That was all on Entertainment Tonight, and uh, you know, it's just funny. Entertainment events and red carpets are so different than sporting events. I mean, I'm kind of a sports PR guy. So, you know, we're used to locker room interviews and interviews after practice and things like that. Not a lot of red carpets in the sports world. So uh, that was kind of an interesting thing, but uh, it was fun. And again, all for a great cause. All right. want to thank our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, Morton's The Steakhouse, and New School Media Coaching, a podcast reminder. You can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. Follow me on Twitter, at SB Radio. This Thanksgiving weekend, I am very thankful for the most special person in my life who's got a special holiday greeting for you. This is Sophia Burger. Happy Holidays. Greg Oden of the Portland Trailblazers supports the Ronald McDonald Houses. I'm a big fan of the houses. Happy to help them make a difference. He helps because he believes every hospitalized child should be near their family in tough times. And everyone can support this home away from home. When you purchase a McCafe Espresso drink or premium roast coffee, McDonald's donates a portion of proceeds to Ronald McDonald House charities in Oregon and Southwest Washington. At participating McDonald's for a limited time. A little change can make a big difference. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. That's why you're a smart business person. (laughs) Or at sportsbusinessradio.com. 